Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. My top 10 what to watch out for is from Davos's Green Agenda. I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. So you may notice that the deep dives have commercials now. The deep dive feed has commercials. It was commercial free for a long time, longer than I thought it would be. But the reality of having to cover the costs of producing the podcast, everything has settled in and I am not breaking even. So I have to put commercials in there. And But there is an upside, a win-win, win actually, because Apple has a subscription service. So I'm putting all the deep dive stuff commercial free along with some bonus episodes. There's one little snippet from my mom I'm going to put up this week where she's telling me what she thinks about the congressman from New York who lied. So I was surprised at what she said. So anyway, that's not up yet. That'll be up later in the week. But that's going to only be in the premium stuff. Personal stuff's going to be in there, buddy dives, and also early releases. I'll put everything up as soon as it's ready. And it's five bucks a month. The first month is free, and you can just try it out. And if you don't like it, don't worry about it. But if you, it's really if you want to support the show. So if you're donating on the website or support me in other ways, don't even worry about that. I just want people to sign up for this for now because... If you sign up for that, rumor has it that Apple pushes you up in the search. So if I have subscribers and they think that they're going to make money off of me, they'll push me up in the search, which will be great because then I'll get commercial listeners and I'll be in the black. So if you want to support me, please check out Deep Dives Premium. And in any case, just hit the subscribe button on the free feed. That helps too. Thank you very much. So let us get to the diving platform for today, which of course, how could I resist, but touching on stuff from Davos. Now I didn't pull the stuff from the front page. I figured everybody else would be covering that. There's like, they have six agenda items, whatever. I have been so interested in this Agenda 21 thing, just the deeper layers of it. So if you didn't hear my last series, I did a three-part series on homelessness, housing, and Agenda 21. The best one was the third one, Delphi Technique, which is in the feed from January 10th, 2023. So if you want to check that out. But it ends up that transportation is very closely related to the land use stuff and the Agenda 21 stuff. Rosa Quarry, who I was talking about in that Delphi Technique thing, she wrote that great book, Behind the Green Mask. She talks about transportation as being um, an important element of their land grab because she says regionalization is a stepping stone to globalization, which I've talked about with Ian Davis. It's so true. That's definitely where we are right now. And she says because transportation is inherently regional, like you have to leave your area to really fulfill, to utilize transportation, they use that as an excuse to have these larger plans to get federal money. And then they these transportation programs almost always come with or always come with redevelopment programs 
which have the land use restrictions in them. And that's what she says is what they're all about, land use restrictions. You can go back to UN Habitat One, which is a precursor to Agenda 21, and they say it right there. I remember the first time I read it, my jaw dropped. Like, private land ownership is, like, uh, unfair or something. I mean, it was just crazy. And, of course, who's going to own the land? Whoever. I'm sure authorized globalist partners. I don't know. That's another big thing we talk about with Ian, and I'm sure Rosa was well aware of this, these global public-private partnerships, all of that stuff. They come into play with the transportation stuff. Even what I was amazed at, I'm going to cover it in this uh, series as well, is the inflation, whatever it was called, act. <laughs> I can't even remember. The... Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is such a ridiculous misnomer, I couldn't even remember what it was, but that's just loaded with stuff that plays into this transportation agenda that was explicitly stated throughout the World Economic Forum kind of predictions for 2023, which is the diving platform for today. Transport industry leaders share 2023 predictions for decarbonization. So this is just full of stuff about how the Inflation Reduction Act is going to throw the doors open to a lot of these green energy projects, but it only gets you halfway there. So it's going to spur demand to get the rest of the way. And one of the guys in a different article in the World Economic Forum said, like, getting money, getting funding, figuring out how all that stuff works is nothing. It's easy. The hard part is getting the political will to commit to these projects. So, like, the Inflation Reduction Act has tons of, I think it's like six or seven different credits and funding and all of that for various electric vehicle manufacturing, sustainable aviation fuel credits. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there that's going to foster the production of electric vehicles. But it even says, one of these predictors says, that you're not going to be able to to accommodate all those electric vehicles because you don't have the charging infrastructure. And then another person, the head of whatever, sustainability at Delta, said, oh, one thing that we want to do is drive demand signals. And I'm like, drive demand signals? And then I I realized from what I, you know, what I'm gathering from throughout this research is to drive the demand signals there, if you have a bunch of electric vehicles and you don't have enough charging stations and the charging stations is the infrastructure project that you need the political will to get done. I mean, that is driving demand signals, right? That's putting electric vehicles for dirt cheap and people clamoring for the charging stations, and even if people aren't clamoring for charging stations, the mainstream media will say, will have a story to tell when they misrepresent the political will by saying people really want this because electric vehicles are so cheap now and people really care about sustainability rating and all this kind of stuff, which may or may not be true. And that was another thing that came out in this Delphi technique that Rosa was talking about is that they they'll give you anecdotes they'll give you examples they'll claim they have a consensus they'll they'll tell you the feedback they got on their questionnaires but it's not the same as an audited referendum <laughs> you know it's not and a lot of the stuff is beyond the scope of the jurisdiction that's going to enforce it that's a big thing with this 
So it's just interesting how much these different factors play together. And transportation is just one of those things that facilitates the green agenda without um, revealing that ultimately, uh, you know, the the big picture here is like full control of land, how it's used, how you move about it. And I mean, that's what it all comes down to. Of course, transportation is a part of that. What really galls me, though, on the these, these articles are all under the heading shaping the future of mobility. So the World Economic Forum, I noticed this many years ago before anyone even knew, anybody heard of the Great Reset. But the World Economic Forum has these tabs of shaping the future of labor, land use, cities, urbanization, mobility, work, all this kind of stuff. And it has always infuriated me, their arrogance of going out of their way and roping in all these government leaders, all these corporate leaders, and shaping the future of these different things that they have no right to shape. And it's definitely top down. And they constantly, I'm so sick of them saying, oh, it's because people aren't treated equally because race, because gender. By the way, equality only comes down to your own opportunities, your, your needs and wants. Like race and gender in the abstract have nothing to do with anything. It's just... Anyway, but they use that too. They use poverty. They use all that stuff. And I'm just so sick of hearing that mantra over and over again, especially when it's so clear it's BS. And you can see these patterns emerging. They just use these excuses for a pre-set agenda that when you see some of these things actually happening, like what they've been doing in Austin for the past probably, I think, seven years now. I think it was 2016 that they started doing this sustainability stuff down there. Austin got the bum steer award at Texas monthly. I mentioned in my last show, like they, it's terrible. Talk to people who live in Austin. It's terrible. The homeless problem, like the scooters on the street, or I don't know if they have the scooter problem, but this thing fosters the scooter problem, the global transportation agenda, but you know, litter, it's just awful. And I mean, they, this stuff doesn't, isn't going to deliver as promised. And you know what? It can't deliver as promised because if they solve the problem, they're exploiting the problems to get what they want. But if they solve the problems, they have no more excuses to get what they want. That's why they don't solve race problems or poverty problems or gender inequality problems. They make them worse. The Great Reset reset all that stuff. So let's just talk about the different things that I think are on the agenda. So the first thing I noticed was that, and actually what made me go down this path was the Southwest Airlines... I was going to take a short trip over the holidays and I couldn't because Southwest Airlines completely shut down because of like weather. And I'm thinking weather happens all the time. Why would their systems crash? Why would their tech crash? And another friend who's experienced something similar is like, this seems like really manufactured. And then the FAA shut stuff down because of a system that a lot of the airlines say they don't even use and they could definitely function without. I don't know, but regardless the FAA has been my example for many years of why government claims of government incompetence are untrue because US-run commercial jets just don't have fatalities anymore. The only, the last two, I actually, I'm highly suspicious of. One was the Southwest airline thing where like a piece of the engine fell off and a person apparently got sucked out the window, but 
the cabin didn't depressurize and people were FaceTiming with their masks down and the the pilot was a woman and she was like the female Sully and she kept her cool. Like the whole thing was so, I mean, I was like, what? <laughs> what dirt do they have on the head of Southwest Airlines that he went along with this? But I definitely smelled a rat with that. So that was the the fatality that that broke the big record. But the thing before that was a commuter jet that went down around Buffalo with a, a 9-11 widow on it. And I think she might have been trouble when it came to the 9-11 cover-up. And uh, I believe that was a case of haystacking. So I think that the fatality rate in planes is was zero for many years. And I was worried about even talking about that because I didn't want to jinx it or calls their attention that they, you know, this is a tell that they have real competence when they want to. And uh, and now there, uh, Booty Gig said, or whatever his name is, he said uh, he's a head of transportation with absolutely no qualifications whatsoever. For that, he said, I don't know, maybe he has qualifications, but whatever. He doesn't come from that industry, that's for sure. He was super mad at Southwest Airlines and said mean, th- mean things to them when they had the holiday glitch. And then all of a sudden, when, when he had to oversee the FAA glitch, he said, this is an incredibly complex system. Glitches or complications happen all the time. Well, I don't remember this happening in my lifetime. And to the extent glitches happen all the time, they certainly have enough. This is what I always said. They, they have so many redundancies that in our system, that there's always a backup plan. That's why it runs so smoothly. And I really feel like they wanted they wanted us to globalize. They wanted global business. They wanted mass migration. And now I think they've accomplished that. And they now would prefer to have us kind of shut down, to have less competition in the global business place. They want to have... Um, less communication among people. They don't want to facilitate travel for middle, you know, smaller companies. And they don't want us to, and I mean, communicate whether it's like verbally, but really traveling is communicating. Transit is communication. And they, I, I, not only do they not want us to do that on planes, they don't even want us to do it from urban to rural. Uh, they just, they want to kind of corral us. It's it's a way of censorship. It's a way of controlling information. And it's good for surveillance as well. So I feel like they've turned the worm has turned on them wanting to facilitate air travel. And it's going to start uh being less convenient. And there was actually a place in one of these, let's see, it's one of my, it's my number four on my list. In it's from the seven reasons there's an article like seven reasons why global transport is so hard to decarbonize. I guess that's their new word. And one of the things is that the goal, one of the goals they have is on the world economic forum website is to reduce the number of flights by two and a half percent per year, even considering frequent flyer levies. So instead of getting miles, you'd get taxed. Well, maybe you'd get both, but they act like this and they say it would like punish the rich and businessmen and stuff, but it's the same BS as, as income tax. It punishes the people who that those dollars actually matter to. It doesn't punish the idle rich. It doesn't punish the global corporations. When the global corporations can eliminate all of their global competition by making air travel impossible for anyone but the absolute 
uh, highest echelon, uh, you're going to have a, a tremendous, essentially, regulatory barrier to entry. So, I mean, they clearly want to reduce travel. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And this, this would also facilitate that regionalization, which Ian Davis and Rosa Quarry and I agree, is the stepping stone to globalization. And to the extent that they kind of mega globalize there for a minute, they can pull that back now. That maybe that was like a like a limited hangout, so to speak. Like the internet itself, like it was completely free and open to get everybody in it, and then they shut it down so they can control it. And even in that Rockefeller Foundation document from 2010, which I've talked about like probably in the last show, a little bit of overlap, but I'm on this theme. The four scenarios, three of them were about a local, a regional or local future for the world. So f- the fourth one had like total globalization, but the three of the scenarios they're planning for are localized. But I also think that another reason that they're having glitches with air travel all of a sudden, and this was on on the heels of uh, having these when I did an, another Perfect Storm episode, it was June 22nd, 2022, if I have that right. And I'm going to have all the archives and the Deep Dives premium feed. So it'll be all the archives. will be commercial free in there. You can find that. You can find it in the free feed right now, Deep Dives of Monica Press free feed. But anyway, so in there, I talk about like one of these perfect storms that is clearly manipulating the airlines or air travel for whatever reason, I don't know, but it had so many things that were going into it. It Staff shortages, labor issues, regulatory barriers to hiring, regulatory barriers to consolidating schedules. It was really weird. This was in England. Power outages, uh, information technology glitches, bad weather, of course, like constantly changing protocols that were confusing and inefficient. There were a lot of, there's a lot of pent up demand from COVID. There were no change fees. There was this idea that you could cancel your flight if you were sick, all that kind of stuff. And that was in England. So I feel like I was like, so we're having problems here and they're having problems there and they all seem manufactured and they're all perfect storms. They all have a bunch of different things like Southwest had problems in Florida, their traffic control and weather and blah, blah, blah. It was just too many things. You know, I'm not buying it. So what's the point of it? The point, um, in my opinion, is that they want us to get used to air, air travel being mismanaged or difficult. They are saying, they're blaming both the Southwest Airline thing and the FAA thing on outdated tech. 
So when they're telling you there's outdated tech, I feel like the Miami condo collapse folds into this too. When they're telling you the problem is it's outdated, it's because they want to build back better. And in this case, this Inflation Reduction Act, haha, totally misnamed, as well as well as World Economic Forum stuff, they keep talking about this sustainable aviation fuel. And part of that, if not the main piece of that, is electric planes, which don't have a lot of range. I know there were problems with electric vehicles over the during those storms and stuff. I mean, there are this is scary to me. And they're going to do these electric planes regionally because they can't do long distances. But I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of glitches as they try to roll that out. And they need us to just think of the airline industry as having gone downhill so that that will give them cover for what's going to happen with the the sustainable aviation fuel. That's my guess. But uh, I don't know. I mean, It's just, you know, there's so many examples of things going backwards all of a sudden from the supply chain to air travel, the the way the government functions itself, our health, all of these things feels like they, you know, you can't fix it if it ain't broke. So they need everything to break and everything's breaking all at once. They're calling it COVID. COVID's giving a great cover. But when you look at the details, they, they're making up a whole bunch of other things because COVID isn't enough. That's why I call it. A perfect storm is just like a bunch of mini false flags, <laughs> you know? So it's harder to analyze. Anyway, and speaking of booty gig, I didn't even know. I know that's a joke but I don't even know how to really pronounce his name. I don't even know how to spell it. I literally write it. (laughs) Booty gig. Anyway, he is, uh, this is my number two, like what's watch out for thing. This guy, I caught this from a long time ago. What, I mean, a globalist chill of the highest order. This guy is, he was a Rhodes scholar and he spent, a few years, you know, more than a few years in naval intelligence. Like those are two, not just military intelligence, naval intelligence and Rhodes Scholar. Like these are, these are big, big red flags. So he went to Harvard, he went to Oxford and, you know, I can, obviously I went to Ivy League school. So like, I feel like millions of people have gone to Ivy League schools. It's just not enough. You have to dig in. Well, you don't have to dig in very far when that stuff comes up. That's it. But I, I have to share this funny thing with you is that he was the valedictorian of his class in 2000. This is his high school class, St. Joseph's in South Bend. And that year, he won first prize in the JFK Presidential Library and Museum's Profiles in Courage Essay Contest. First prize. That's a big contest for a kid from South Bend. So he traveled to Boston to accept the award. And there he met Caroline Kennedy and other Kennedys. Good for him. You know, who else was attached to the Kennedys was AOC. Anyway, uh, the subject of his winning essay was the integrity and political courage of then U.S. Representative, wait for it, Bernie Sanders of Vermont. So he was a Bernie bro before there were Bernie bros. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, and I would I would be sympathetic to Bernie bros, except for Bernie likes war. So uh, F him. Anyway. Okay. So 
That was my third one. My uh, my second one. My third one is that this is also what you're going to watch out for is this massive push towards public-private partnerships. So particularly, well, Ian Davis points out they're global public-private partnerships, which makes sense because this thing is global. When you look at ECLEI, which is what drives these local initiatives for transportation and urban development, they're, first of all, they like to go outside of the jurisdiction. They call it cross-jurisdictional or extra-jurisdictional, like on their website, very regionalizing, but it stands for International Council on Local Environmental Initiatives. <laughs> so it's obviously globalizing at the local level. And that's part of what they're pushing here. And they, I wrote an article about this. I should put it in the show notes. I wrote an article about this years ago on how I hate public-private partnerships. And libertarians have been advocating for those. Maybe they don't anymore, but in the beginning, they were falling for it. And I was like, look, if the government can't do it, why are we letting the government take the responsibility, the authority, the tax dollars, the control, and then find a private provider to give them 100% of the money? It's not. It doesn't have as much accountability or transparency. You would think it would have more, but it doesn't. You cannot actually dig into that stuff the way it would if the government actually did it. And that is really ripe for corruption because you can pay people off like that. And they, and you know, if you, when you see a fat cat politician walking around, you know, something's up, but these private guys are like, I provided a better value. You know, it's, it's really, it's bad. It's not, it's not free enterprise at all. And I am all for free enterprise, uh, uh, private enterprise, free markets, limited government, no government at all, no government of force at all anyway. Uh, but I am not a fan of the public-private partnership, yet the Wall Street Journal, and this was actually the subject of my rant on the public-private partnerships back in the day, was because the Wall Street Journal has been advocating for this for so long, is that they should privatize air traffic control. And I got to tell you, that's when I noticed that the FAA was so competent. So like, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's efficient, like I'm not, but when you look at our government, like the, what we spend money on, if you look at like the federal government budget or even the whole country altogether, if you look at stuff that people call like public services, it's like couple of trillion dollars, not even, like it's less than $2 trillion. And we're talking about taxes of in the seven, $8 trillion range. I don't even know. Almost everything in the tax frame where the government spends money is a, is a redistribution of wealth. And there are, you know, they call it something else, even like the defense industry. It's like corporate welfare for the most part. Like you could not possibly justify half of the money we spend on defense it's really not, it's just redistributing wealth from the taxpayer to those corporations. And there's other things. Social security is redistribution of wealth. Welfare, obviously, is redistribution of wealth. Um, but even like, and this isn't federal for the most part, but even like public schools is just, I don't send my kids to public schools. Even when I sent them to the cheap Catholic school, it was a private school, it was not getting government money at all. And, uh, but I still had to pay my taxes, property taxes that went to the public school. It was just a redistribution of wealth from me to them. So all that money is redistribution. If you, if you separate out from that public services, it's less than $2 trillion. So if your problem with the air traffic control is that it's inefficient, 
uh, like spends too much money. I mean, we're talking, it's, it, it's nothing like it's the, the, it's not even a rounding error in the amount of money. That's the problem with our taxing and spending. And the um, number of flights, I, I don't know how many flights fly now, but I remember 9-11, 45,000 flights or 44,000 flights were canceled that day. And I think there were just U.S. flights. So that's what was going on then on a daily basis. So don't tell me there isn't enough throughput because of the ATC and, and the zero fatality rate. I mean, why would you want to mess with that? Why would you want to mess with that? I mean, we have a government... I'm not a fan of it, but that's one thing where, I mean, don't fix that if it ain't broke. I mean, it's amazing what they've accomplished. So when the, when Wall Street Journal wants that, I realize that, and I think they even referred to this global, it was originally, you know, it was from Chicago, but there is a global aviation control board, something like that, that is associated with the UN. And in these articles about the FAA shutdown, they do refer to this international body. And and I've been thinking that for a long time. Oh, these airline things, MH370 and all that, I thought they seem to be pushing for more, even they have coordination on the international level, but I feel like they maybe want even more control on the international level. One of those global public-private partnerships, I just can't help but worry that's in the works. And I mean, that would really change the whole profile. If they, if people started getting afraid of flying, if there were glitches truly that endangered people, they would get their two and a half percent reduction in flights every year for sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, they might get a lot more than that, which is probably what they want, but God forbid, because that would be quite tragic. So my number four, I already did about reducing those flights. And another thing that's been contributing to that reduction in flight that uh, obviously was part of something they were planning is that COVID not only crashed tourist travel, but it really crashed business travel. And that kind of permanently, because the whole Zooming thing will has changed the profile of business travel uh, top to bottom. And again, like that's that isn't as good. I remember when I was in banking, we would always fly to the client, always, always, always. And my boss was so awesome. He was, I loved him. He was always grumpy, but I really loved him. He said, he said, you gotta, you gotta look him in the eye. You gotta let them look you in the eye. You have to have a meeting of the minds and that's the only way to do it. And the firm had the money to do it. And of course, you're going to be better off than a regional firm or whatever, you know, where they couldn't take the whole team, that kind of thing. So, um, and it's not just about air travel, that business commuting, you know, like actually commuting to work would have been, is is also like the shape of that has changed. And lo, we are, so a lot of people were haughty about being in demand employment-wise and insisted on continuing to stay home, well, I think we're on the precipice of a lot of people staying home who wish they hadn't driven such a hard bargain at work because I think they're going to be layoffs and stuff, especially in tech. But in any case, that, you know, business commuting is definitely going to be down. Uh, oh, and did you, does everybody realize this? that the U.S. does not allow unvaccinated people in the country? 
other than people who are American citizens or residents or whatever, you can't just take a vacation here if you're unvaccinated. Like, what the heck? You know how many unvaccinated people live here? I mean, 100 million more? (laughs) I don't understand. I mean, but who even knew that? Who listening even knew that? It's crazy. William of England told me that. And my friend Ellen told me that just today. And William told me in the History Homos podcast, which is in Deep Dives Premium, uh, that he can't visit because of that. And I, I just, I didn't register that. So another thing I thought is kind of like a nasty little possibility for why they want to cut back on tourism and traveling. I was listening to Pasta on Convo Couch talk about the what's happening in Brazil, and I'm actually going to have a live dive with him. If you're listening to this as soon as it posts, it's going to be today, Wednesday, January 18th at 11 a.m. He's going to tell me about Brazil, but uh, they were talking about how I guess there were some economic benefit going around, (laughs) genuine or manufactured, I don't know, when Lulu was president the first time, and really poor people were getting on planes and buses and going to vacation spots, and the bourgeoisie were not okay with it, which I do believe, especially in some countries that are way more, uh, like, hierarchical like that within the society. So I could actually see that being true. And I also, I mean, I've, I've heard other people say that about Europe, England, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't think we're really like that. But it could be that the globalists are like, we've had enough. We we were giving you that carrot so that you would work really hard. But again, we're done with <laughs> we're 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 in a what do you call it, like a phase transition? Something's changing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Uh, and um, another thing that I think is going to... This is my number five that I think is something to watch out for. And I think it may play into a kind of overall conclusion I'm getting out of some of the motives here. I think some of the motives, if you want to get really just money-based, really venal, it would be to say um, that globalist corporations, like when I say they, I'm talking about World Economic Forum, look at their partners, look at the corporations that show up there, the people who are on steering committees, Even the governments, the high-ranking officials, like all those people are, I think, among other things, serving a purpose to support global corporations over regional competition. And in addition, to maximize the profits that they can get. So some of the ways to do that is to reduce your costs by getting government subsidies, to reduce competition, which means you can raise the prices by having regulatory barriers to entry, and reducing how much you have to give people. By implementing these green standards, there's something called the circular economy, where you're supposed to reduce, reuse, 
recycle, remake. Like there's always things you're supposed to do, like to get the most out of this crap that we're being sold. I can understand if it was when stuff was good, but what the hell, you know, and it's totally inefficient. Like people argue with it because of like, this stuff isn't meant to be recycled. It takes more energy and everything. But, but I feel like all these sustainability things are getting us to get used to paying more and getting less. And uh, I think it was Parallel Mike saying that over there in England or maybe Poland where he lives, that they pay you to take the green choice. Like you get a bonus for taking the green choice, a credit or a discount. Here, I believe you can, I I haven't seen this. Yeah, I know it's a fact. You can pay more for the green choice. So you can get the exact same thing and say, add 50 cents for green ability or whatever. (laughs) Like it's ridiculous. And I know Google is putting these echo certified like little green leaves on stuff. And they're very serious about it. And they they won't let, they won't allow a company or an industry to kind of self-regulate. They're requiring that a company use standardized sustainability measures audited by third-party experts. So again, this I've talked about this with Binkley. You they are going into the using sustainability, like they actually call it like sustainability, like gap accounting or FASB accounting. There's like sustainability board accounting, like with the same acronym almost except for an S instead of an F. It's not financial, it's sustainability. And that's, I think, their way to do a few things, but it's to standardize these requirements that will absolutely um, knock upstarts people who are functioning close to the bone as a new company, they're not going to be able to live up to this stuff. They're not going to be able to adopt the policies required to get those sustainability ratings. They're not going to be able to pay the regulatory price of having these um, these little regulatory departments, which has always been a big thing for me, legal accounting, everything that really increases the cost so that little guys cannot enter the market. Now, once you're there and established, if you're making some bank, you can put that stuff in place and by doing so, really raise that the barriers to entry for new entrants who have to live up to those standards. And some of these guys, we, we hear about it in the World Economic Forum, they require that their supply chain providers have these kind of sustainability check marks next to their names. I mean, this is the way they're forcing this to happen. And it not only forces them to comply, it forces them to comply to these specific policies, but not only all of that, but you also have to open your books. It has to be transparent. And there's a lot, it seems to me that uh, a major initiative by the big guys is to get data, to get information from basically every company on earth. That's a, that's a thing of real value. Just like they don't want us to have any surplus income, they don't want little companies to have any surplus data. That's what I think is behind some of this, this stuff. So you're going to see those little green leaves all over the place. So I'm going to take a break here. That was number five. I will leave the second five for part two. In part two, I want to go into a little bit more about how that Inflation Reduction Act is going to really rattle things, especially transportation, uh, over the next year or two. I mean, and just seeing how little uh, policy changes in housing in the middle of 2022 that was designed to like get get stuff closed by the end, get things finished by the end of 2022, resulted in a housing glut. 
I feel like there are going to be intended consequences that will be deliberately painful to spur additional policy actions, or as the Delta chick said, uh, driving demand signals. Nice. Uh, but if you, <laughs> if this stuff stresses you out, I do want to give a shout out to my friends at True Hemp Science. If this stuff stresses you out, get take a walk, take your shoes off, stand in the dirt. If you don't have nothing but mud in LA because it's been raining for two weeks straight, except for the day of the Rose Bowl parade, as I predicted. <laughs> Never fails. Weird. So anyway, I do love the tramp science stuff. I was not going to try it for the longest time because I was afraid it would like be mind altering and I just don't have time to be high, but it's not at all. It's not at all. And I also wondered if it had actual stress reducing qualities and it completely does. No question about it. So, uh, I am testifying to the 25 milligram gummies. That's my absolute favorite thing. And if you want to try them, they don't cost $100. But if you do buy something worth $100 or $100 worth of stuff at, at truehemscience.com and you use the Deep Dives promo, one word, uh, you will get a $25 bottle of CBD oil. So I like to give them a shout out because I like their products and they're huge supporters and fans of the show, always have been. Uh, and if you're not, hopefully you have enjoyed this and will become a, a regular listener. If you are new to the show, please subscribe on Deep Dives with Monica Perez. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think also would enjoy it. And of course, feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.